Hello and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. I'm Nick Sherrod, one of the co-founders of Label Sessions. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people, whether you want advice, mentoring or ideas. In this episode, we have a conversation with Helen Page. Helen Page has been a leader in some of the biggest brands in the UK across retail, banking and beyond. More to the point, she has transformed them, whether turning Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank into a revamped vibrant Virgin Money or driving digital innovation on the high street with Argos. Today, she's on a portfolio of boards from major whiskey brands to a range of charities, as well as mentoring and advising some of the brightest marketing leaders we have using Label Sessions. Ian from Label Sessions talks to Helen and finds out what she's all about. Guess what? Tell us a little bit about you, um, what brought you to where we are today, um, and some of the most important milestones in your, in your life today. Oh, wow. Okay. How long have you got? Um, tell me about me. I am, so currently I am, um, I have a, what's called a portfolio career. So I left my executive role about a year ago. I was working at a bank, quite a popular bank, and I decided I wanted to expand my board career a bit more. I'd already started one non-exec uh, position. That was with a whiskey company here in Scotland, which is very exciting. Something very different for me. I've never, I've never done um, drinks before, so that that that's been really interesting. Um, and I just decided, that, you know, this is this is the time. It's probably a bit earlier in my career than I thought I was going to do it, um, but it felt right. It was the right time. And I think post-pandemic, a lot had changed where I was working. And a lot had changed about me and the things that I felt were important. So that was why I decided to, to go portfolio. Um, I also, I'm a board trustee for two charities in Scotland. One is the Animal Charity here in Scotland, which is a fascinating charity, a really multifaceted business. Uh, and the other is with the Scottish Charity Air Ambulance, which again, I've never been involved in emergency medical care, unless it was for one of my children um, through my career. So that's, that's a really interesting one to do. And yeah, I get to work really quite flexibly. I get to work when I want to, um, within reason, obviously. Um, and I'm much, much happier in, in my life. I think milestones wise, you know, I've had, I've had a, yeah, quite a long career. I've uh, worked for the best part of 30 years now. It doesn't feel like that sometimes, but it is. And done lots of different things, met lots of different people, had some amazing jobs, um, working with some amazing brands. We'll probably talk about that a bit more. Um, but yeah, feeling, feeling really good at the moment, really happy, more time for my family and uh, enjoying some advisory work, doing a bit of brand advisory work. I get to talk at events, um, been talking at a couple of universities recently about my career. So yeah, re really interesting time for me. If we went all the way back to the beginning, Ooh. Um, is, that, is this the career path that you had in mind? Um, like, did you, did you as, a, as you were growing up, did you go, I want to work in marketing? Or <laughs> did you have something completely different in, in mind? So. I, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pilot, and it didn't work out. <laughs> no, no. I did. Did you see Top Gun? Is that what it was? Uh, I don't think I didn't even want to be the fighter pilot. I think I wanted to fly B and E jets or something. Yeah. Well, my friend, a friend of mine, saw Top Gun and actually became a fighter pilot. Can you believe that? At least somebody did. I know exactly. At least somebody did. Um, 
No, I don't. I think like all little girls, I probably wanted to be a vet. And then I knew what was involved and I was terrible at biology. So I didn't want to do that. I actually went to university to take law um, and decided very quickly I wasn't very good at that either. No, I, I didn't have... I didn't actually think about what I wanted to do. It was all a process. I went through university. Um, I probably started to think a bit more about marketing, creative side of things while I was at university, but I, I didn't have a big plan. I actually, when I was younger, thought I will get married, have a big family, um, which I did. I, I, will, I will work probably, but I didn't really have career aspirations. I don't know, what, I, I just didn't. So I went through the process of education, came out and kind of fell into research really which i think a lot of people do and then um yeah marketing was a kind of thing i'd i'd, I'd done a bit of a major in marketing at, at university as part of my degree and um so when the opportunity arose which was quite quickly into my career to do marketing i i sort of got on that path um but yeah it wasn't it wasn't always the intention really no, it wasn't planned and certainly not, you know, I spent most of my career in financial services. That really wasn't planned. Um, although that's been fascinating as well, because I mean, financial services touches every part of people's lives. Um, and I think when you, especially when, when the jobs that I've done, marketing, product development, you know, strategic roles, that's been about, you know, and customer experience about creating the future, trying to change the way banks operate and the way that they, service their customers you know that's been very much part of what i've done um so yeah really interesting but i didn't i didn't plan to work in financial services either did you have like a big break it was like a moment <laughs> that was sort of this was a really important big break earlier in your career or a transitional moment yeah. that sort of maybe that was the switch to financial services yeah I'd, I'd worked in government roles um early in my career and i knew that wasn't for me so i just knew a new government wasn't wasn't my bag um, and I wanted to get into the private sector and I applied for quite a few roles at the time and I, and I landed a job at Abbey National and it was sort of in a product management role actually and then I think my big the big break for me came I got a call from a headhunter one day um, and it was this really sort of lively headhunters as they often are they had this fantastic job for me um, and I wasn't really looking to move. I was in a great position. I was head of marketing at, at Abbey by then. And I think I was about to, I can't remember, I was about to go and have another child. I've had lots of them. So um, I was not really thinking about a move. And she said, well, look, I've got this great retailer for you. And I was like, retailing, I can do shopping. And, um, you know, I was thinking John Lewis, Boots were really interesting at the time. Uh, they were doing lots of different things. Um, I was even thinking it might be a supermarket, a, a, you know, an Asda or a, a Waitrose or whatever. And it was Argos. And I was, I was, mm, okay, I'll go and meet with them. I wasn't an Argos shopper. My husband was an absolute Argos shopper and I used to give him hell about it at the time. Um, but I went along, I met the marketing director at the time. He was amazing. We got on really, really well. And I thought, yeah, this is going to be fascinating. So I moved from banking to retail. It was my first really senior job. Um, you know, I had big bump in salary at the time. I got lots of responsibility. I got this big team. 
Um, and I had a ball, absolute ball. Like, you know, we were relaunching the brand. We were changing it from a catalogue company to a retailer. Within a year, we were number one for beds and number one for phones and number one for jewellery. And interestingly enough, but we were, and it was just fascinating. I changed the advertising, I changed everything in the first year, the team, the PR. It was just brilliant. I've got to work with some amazing people. So I'd say that was probably my big break. It's amazing trying to describe Argos to a North American. <laughs> really, really hard. And then you had like the little pens and the keys. And you changed all that. I did. I, I was responsible for click and collect. Okay. Click and collect was one of my things. And fast pay terminals. Yeah. We're going back some time now. Uh, that was about 2002, I think we introduced those. So we were really, really new on the high street introducing quick pay terminals. Getting Argos shoppers to use them was a challenge, but um, yeah, it was a really interesting time in my career. And that sort of leap from, you know, steep learning curve, came out of banking, didn't know a thing about retail other than how to do it really well. And, um, you know, was, literally thrown in at the deep end with buyers and traders and a very different culture than banks. You know, banks at the time anyway were quite slow. Retail was really, really fast. You know, we would we would be out there on a Friday morning in Curry's or Comet or whatever it was at the time looking at what they had on offer. We were rushing back to to get our deals out there the next day. So it was really fast paced. I love that. It just got a little bit repetitive for me. Um, you know, you have Christmas, you have January sales, you have Easter, you have summer sale, you have, you know, whatever. And and once you've done that for a couple of years, it's kind of, you know, what's coming. So you've done that for a little bit and then you went back into banking, right? I did that for a bit and then I actually went on maternity leave. And during my maternity leave, my boss went to a very big role in, um, in RBS, RBS group. And he'd never done banking before. He'd been the complete opposite of me. He'd, he'd done FMCG and um, retail all of his career. And this was his first time in banking. And obviously, I'd had some banking experience with Abby. I'd been there seven years, actually. And he called me up and said, when are you coming back to work? Because I really need you to come back to, to work with me in, in RBS Group, come back into banking. I was like, well... No, because I'm going back to Argos to be the marketing director. You know, this was my big move. And he, because I was tipped to, to get that job. And he was like, no, you, you need to come. You need to come here with me. And it was literally, that's how it was. He said, and, you know, the headhunter's going to call you. And it was the same one who found me from Argos to, 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 to go to Argos. So um, she literally did said, no, no, you've got to go and this is a great job for you. And actually, it was it was a brilliant job. Um, and I went to RBS to, to actually be the brand director of NatWest. And within a couple of years, I had RBS and NatWest and lots of other brands. And I was working back with him, which I really enjoyed. And he was a great mentor for me as well. Um, so yeah, it was, it was good times. And that was a period in banking where things were growing quite fast, changing quite fast, quite a lot of technical development, mobile, phones, mobile banking was coming in, all of that. So there's a huge amount to do and, and great things to do with brands. So back into banking. So in those roles, when you, you do the Argos thing, you go back into financial services with RBS, how do you, how do you do lots of things? How do you have the confidence to make change happen? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think there's always a, a sort of, oh, can I do this moment? And am I, am I ready for this next role? And, you know, I think going from Argos, and having had a bit of time on maternity leave, although it wasn't very long, 
um you know i was like oh my god am i ready for this um and moving from abbey you know where i'd but that was the last time i'd been in banking head of marketing yeah it was quite a senior job but then to go to a director role it was completely different and it'd only been a couple of years really about two and a half years so I was there was a level of a sort of anticipation but I think you just you know building relationships as soon as you get into those roles are really important and taking a bit of time so nobody expects you to land in day one and sort it all out although you will always get there on day one and people will kind of rush at you with their their problems and their life stories but you know I think just taking a bit of time I was moving I'd had quite a lot of responsibility in Argos to be fair and I was moving into a role couple of hundred people, lots of challenges, lots of changes to make. And from a marketing perspective, um, there, there was quite a lot to do. So take a bit of time, get to know the team. Um, you very quickly work out who's good, who's not, you know, and who probably has maybe been around too, too long or might need another role. So there's quite a lot of structural stuff to do and thinking that through. And then, but just being, you know, doing your research before you get there, I had a bit of time to kind of understand the brand a bit more, talk to some senior people. Um, and then I got in and I did actually get myself about the organisation and don't stick within, you know, the kind of area you know. I went and spoke to finance, I talked to the HR teams, get out into the field. So I went and spent some time in the, the branches as they aren't they were then, you call them stores now. Um, but, you know, get to know the people, get to know the front lines, spend some time actually you know, observing in the branches, talk to customers, all of that kind of stuff I did when I got there um, and listened a lot. So the worst thing you can do in those situations is get in and then just have an, an opinion straight away. Um, you know, you can't wait too long, but, but get in and just kind of figure it all out. But yeah, it was really exciting. There was a lot going on. It was a period of time when, you know, banks were thinking more about tech development, online banking, um, you know, even thinking about mobile banking then, can you believe it? It's what we all do now. But, you know, it, it, it was early days of that kind of improving the customer experience, improving customer service um, and really thinking about new products. So I, I, it, it was a great time, new product development, new tech development um, and being able to take a brand that had got a bit quiet and a bit sort of on the back foot in banking and reinvent it was a, a great opportunity for me. And you got to do all that with a really big, well-known brand. Yeah. Sounds like there's some good money behind it as well to make. To yeah, I mean, it was at the time, I think banks were spending quite a bit of money uh, on advertising. Um, I think a lot, lots has changed and a lot changed after the sort of banking crash. But yeah, there was quite a lot of investment in marketing. Um, I think it was kind of accepted that to have a really strong share of voice was was important for banks. Um, and we were seeing quite a bit of success as well. You know, the, the bank was growing, the brands within it were growing, we were buying additional brands. I very quickly um, got to sort of take on responsibility for the RBS brand as well as NatWest and then all the other kind of mortgage brands and stuff that came with that. So the, my responsibility in Remit grew really, really quickly. I had a great, I had a great boss who um, was very supportive of what I was trying to do. So it was really it was really good fun at the time. I mean, things changed in banking then after that, but you know, it was a really great period of, of time for me to cut my teeth doing things that I had never done before. 
um, and you know learn different aspects of of banking, different aspects of marketing, um, and the communications mix. So I I literally I got to play with everything, I guess. And and yeah, we did have quite a lot of investment, which made it a lot easier. So you did all that. You learned a lot. You got to do a lot of things. You you your roles grew bigger. Then you went to Clydesdale. Is that right? Then I I left um, RBS after the crash. I'd, I'd, I'd had another baby at that point, I had another, another child. And I went back and after my maternity, which wasn't actually very long, things had changed in my life. I'd lost my father. I'd had a, I'd had a baby just a few weeks before I lost my father. Um, my priorities were starting to change. We'd had the banking crash, things got very pressured. Um, I was spending far too much time away from home. The culture had changed in the organisation. The senior team that I knew had, had more or less left and there were new people coming in. So things had really changed quite a lot and I was not enjoying it. It was putting a lot of stress on me, my family, my marriage. Um, and it was like something's, something's got to give, something's got to give here. And then, yeah, I, I, lost, I lost faith in the organisation. I think we fell out of love with each other, really, and it was time for me to move on. So I left there, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't a great period in my life, but it was actually the right thing to do. I didn't feel it at the time, but it was. I left, you know, my marriage improved, my kids got to see me. My little one, who was probably only about one then, you know, got to see his mummy a bit more. And I took a bit of time just to say, right, hey, what do I, what do I want to do now? And I actually went and did a piece of work, or went and worked for Cancer Research, um, which was really, really fascinating, really interesting organization. Probably not the right thing to do just when you'd lost your father to cancer, however. So actually I found that quite tough, although I did throw myself into it and I, I did that for a little while. And then I got a, a call, um, which I wasn't, we were actually on holiday and I wasn't sort of ready to go back into work. And it was to, to come and talk to Clydesdale. And when I, I'd been at RBS and Clydesdale with this just small Scottish bank and that we didn't really pay much attention to because it didn't really feel like it was a competitor. And oh wow, you know, I went, I went along. They said, just go meet the CEO. Uh, they got a really interesting story. They're looking for somebody to reinvent the brand um, for sale, actually, because it was they were they were owned by National Australia Bank, and it was you know we're going to get the organisation ready to be sold. You know, so we need to we need to reinvigorate the brand. It was Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank. So it's a totally different challenge. Totally to different challenge. No money um for me or the or the or the brand um and i said well you know it's not really what i was planning to do i said i didn't want to go back into financial services and i'd been quite clear about that and i went along i met them i met the senior team and i thought oh actually this is quite interesting and quite a challenge and i i, I joined there um and i said look i'll come along and do a couple of years and first of all, I said, I'll come along and just do a sort of a consultancy role and, you know, for a period of time. I was in two weeks and the CEO said, look, you know, please, would you kind of join full time because it's a bit disrupting for the team and they kind of want to know you're here for a period of time. So I said, look, I'll do two years. I ended up staying there for 10. Um, but a lot happened in that time. And, you know, we did a lot of stuff. But, you know, I went along and I had no money. I had a 
mediocre, I can say that because it was mediocre marketing team. A lot of people who just said they wanted to work in marketing were suddenly working in marketing with no experience. There was no money to spend. I mean, the first few weeks I sat writing my own briefs. I was, you know, had to write a completely new marketing plan. I was doing things that I'd had teams of people doing and uh, for me for the last sort of seven years in, in the RBS group. And all of a sudden I was sitting doing it myself. And, you know, that actually was a was a really good thing to have to do, to be perfectly honest. And I actually quite enjoyed it. Sort of I was going to say, what, like, through all of that, you got large family, young yeah. family, big job, not much resources. Yeah. What motivates you through that? <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I think about that now, actually, because I genuinely did love it. I love a challenge. I think it was the people. Um, there was lots of freedom. You were able to take decisions. I mean, I was given a huge amount of responsibility the minute I walked through the door. Um, I created a team. I completely restructured. I hired some new people. Um, I appointed an ad agency, which they'd never had before. And I was working with um, National Australia Bank in, in, in Melbourne, which again was really fascinating and interesting. I went over there a couple of times. And it was just, it was just very different. It was a different type of environment. Um, but as I say, we were, we were actually getting ready to, to sell the bank, but there were no buyers because it was not, you know, it really was not the right time. We rebuilt the brand, we relaunched the brand, which was great, and that went down really, really well. And then um, we decided to IPO. We decided to IPO the bank, go independent. People said we couldn't do it. I think it made us even more determined that we would. We had a new CEO and yeah, we, we flew back and forth to, to Melbourne and Sydney, convincing um, National Australia Bank that we could do this. And then we did. And it was the first time I'd never been involved in an IPO of, of, of any scale, but certainly not of that scale. Huge learning curve for me, but a fascinating thing to do. Really, really enjoyed it. You say that's your, one of the things you're most proud of, like that, that's a huge challenge and then a big outcome. Yeah, brilliant. And I am really, really proud of that time. I'm, I'm also really proud of the team that I built. I think when I came out of RBS, I, you know, I'd lost, I'd lost trust in, in, in people. I was very careful about who I trusted after that and who I sort of let in, if you, if you like. And I built an amazing team. We were having a, a, a great time and making, you know, making something really successful. So we IPO'd and then um, within two years, we we went into an acquisition to, to purchase Virgin Money. Um, so a whole new challenge, a whole new different set of, you know, issues and things that I'd never done before. Um, then I was working with the Virgin Group to, to negotiate our, um, our license fee and, you know, very getting to know the group and spent time with Virgin Atlantic and Virgin Voyages, who were just kind of launching at the time, hotels. So again, a brand new opportunity for me to try different things and meet different people. Um, and then the decision to rebrand the whole of the bank to Virgin Money was massive. You know, we, we, we took the decision to, to rebrand a 150-year-old bank, Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank, to, to become Virgin Money. A um, whole new set of challenges, convincing a board to do it, um, and then just set about how you do it. 
massive you know there hasn't been a rebrand of that scale in over 10 years in the uk so so massive amount to do um so every kind of time i thought right i'm going to leave i'm going to go and do something different um i did get a few calls along the way there was then the next thing to do and a great team to do it with so i i stayed for 10 years which is incredible i've never been anywhere that long you did an amazing thing in that time just taking the slightly unloved yeah storied brands yeah. and then turning it into something huge with a brand that everyone knows around the world absolutely and and uh, you know being able to see my team grow during that time and um you know some of them go off and do great things because they'd had brilliant experiences it was yeah re really interesting not without its not without its challenges and difficulties and you know i had still had young children at the time i was flying to to Australia on a Saturday morning, coming back on a Wednesday night, you know, completely deranged and, and not knowing what day it was um, and doing that, you know, over Christmas and things like that. So the, the, there'd been some challenging times during the IPO, during the acquisition, you know, going on holiday in the summer and, and having to give most of that away to, to calls and things like that. So it, it hadn't all been easy. Um, but I learned more in those 10 years than I think I've learned in the rest of my career. And I was more prepared to do those things because I'd kind of had some failures along the way. And I'd taken quite a bit of advice from other people along the way. And so I felt, and I, and I was far more relaxed in my life as well. I was far more relaxed, more chilled, didn't let things get to me as much. Um, you know, people who met me when I went to Clydesdale, who'd known me at RBS said, oh, you're a different person. You know, you're much more relaxed, you're more chilled. And it was like, I just, yeah, because I know now these things aren't life and death, you know. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast. For live sessions of advice, mentorship, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. How do you juggle what's in the job with what's happening at home? Um, again, I, 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 I learned probably too late actually how to juggle well, but people say to me, you know, how do you have it all? You know, you've got five children and you've got, you know, this big career and um, you've done really, really well. Well, you don't you don't have it all and you have to you have to you do have to juggle really, really well. I had um, I have an amazing husband who for a lot of what I've just described took took a back seat and supported the children. He had his own career as well, but, you know, he he was one at home a lot and he would kind of fill the gaps, you know. Um, I had to accept I wasn't going to be at every children's play or every children's parents evening and that was difficult for me because you know I'd, I'd come from a world and, a, and a, a past where children first and foremost and everything and they, they are my children are the most important thing to me in the world and I drop anything for them but um, I had to accept I couldn't be the full-time mum and have a career and the way that you balance that was you know we were able to have amazing holidays I gave them a great education we lived in a nice home um, but you do have to accept that you can't have everything I think what you know what I learned from my period before going to Clydesdale was that you 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 do have to separate the two so when you're on holiday you have to be on holiday you have to be present and when you're in work you have to be present right but I 
I, you have to get that separation because it impacts your children, it impacts your relationships, it impacts your friendships if you don't. Um, and you, you, you have to be quite disciplined about it. Yeah, I, can, I, I just know so many people who are going through that where they, what do you choose to pick up? What yeah. do you choose to drop? How do you handle the family side of things? Yeah. How do you have the confidence to say no at work, right? Yeah. And years ago, um, and this feels like a bit of a whinge and it isn't, but years ago, you know, I'd be sitting around an executive table. Sometimes I was the only woman. And this is, you know, way back, sort of 15, 20 years back. And I had young children and I'd listened to my, my sort of colleagues who were very proud to say that they were going off to parents' evening, so I had to leave at four o'clock. And here was me thinking, I'm not going to parents' evening because I thought if I said I was going to parents' evening, they'd go, oh, there she is, you know, mum having to run off at four o'clock. And I lived with that for quite a long period of time. Now, I think, I think you know, thankfully things have changed and there's much greater equality now in the workplace. But back then, women did feel like that. They did feel the pressure to keep the family thing completely separate. And thankfully, it's not like that now. And, you know, I have, I've had lots of men who've worked for me and my team with families, and they've been very open and very honest about, you know, oh, I've got so-and-so's ballet tonight, or I've got, you know, a play to go and watch in the morning. And obviously, being a parent, I'm very supportive of that. But you have to be very supportive of whatever people have got in their life. It might be caring for, you know, an elderly relative. It might be caring for a, you know a friend it might be doing something completely different it might be i've got to leave because my cat needs to go to the event you know you have to you have to be supportive of what's in people's lives and you have to be able to get a balance and that that's the important piece i think it's something really interesting that a lot of men are looking for advice from women who went through that mm. and now there's men who aren't necessarily comfortable saying yeah. it, but they're trying to be better at it. So there's a really interesting, I'm fascinated by how people yeah. um, juggle those two things. I think being open and being honest. I think the more you give, the more you should get back. And I think that that's always how I've managed my teams. You know, the, the, there will always be people who try to take advantage of situations and you have to be a little bit careful about that. I think for me, um, you know, if, if somebody is, delivering and doing what they're committed to do and what they're there to be paid to do then you have to there's times in people's lives when you've got to be flexible and luckily now flexibility is a big thing in most organizations when you work is more flexible where you work from can be more flexible i mean the the pandemic taught us that we didn't all have to be in an office nine to five um and and people in the main especially senior people are quite respectful of that i'm kind of still figuring it out now that mm. we come back to the office and do a bit of the hybrid thing like i think yeah. it's going to take a while but people are still getting there this, we're moving into more about advice so um what advice would you give your younger self? I would probably say to be a bit more relaxed and take things a bit easier. I think when you're younger in your career, you take everything so seriously. It's all a bit life and death and it's not. Um, so to, just to be a bit more chill. I think the other thing probably is to, I did try and sort of, I wouldn't say I didn't not, I didn't prepare for things well enough, but I think sometimes you can kind of say, oh, I'll be okay. I'll kind of get through it or be a bit last minute preparation for the odd board meeting or whatever that's just not good enough you know you need to you need to be on top of your stuff all the time um but I think also you know one one piece of advice my husband gave me actually years and years ago which and he wasn't my husband at the time 
actually didn't like him very much. I worked with him. I didn't like him very much <laughs> at the time. Um, and he probably because he kept giving me advice. But he said to me, he said to me, treat people well on the way up your career because you're never gonna, you never know who you're gonna meet on the way down. And I know that's a bit cliche, but it's really, really true. And you know, I think that you're just respecting people, making sure that you're very open to people's opinions as you kind of go up the ladder is really, really critical. Because actually, you know, it's not that you're going to be on the way down, but you never know what scenario you're going to meet people in in the future, and you always do. And I think back now, I, I, I get lots of calls from people, headhunters asking me about certain individuals. And I'm very honest. I'm very honest about them. And that may not always be good, um, you know. So, so I'm, I was, I was, I think, very careful about how I treated people um, through my career. And I think you, I think you, you, you have to be listen, be respectful. Everybody's got their own opinions. You don't have to believe them or whatever. But um, good behaviours are really, really important. I had a client who used to say, "Give more than you expect to give, uh, get back." Yes. And you'll always get back more than you ever gave. Yes. And it's always wrong trip. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think the other the other thing is um, I was told by a really good friend of mine now, way back, when you look at a piece of work or somebody brings you a, a project or a, you know, a piece of creative in my, in my world, always look for the positives. Always look for two or three positives before you kind of pile into the negative <laughs> feedback. Um, and I did that and I, I kind of gave that sort of feedback to my team to do that because it just sets that environment then for people to receive feedback much, much better. Um, and that helped me actually get through some kind of difficult sort of challenges with teams in, in my career. So always look for the, I think it's, it's a good thing. It's a good piece of advice for life, right? You know, always find the positives and things first. Yeah, 100%. And I'd say that as I'm, I normally jump for the negative and I need to get better <laughs> at that. Um, so now in this portfolio career that you're in now, you, you do various board work. Mm. What are you passionate about passing on to the to other people, whether that's people in roles that you've been doing that kind of role mm. before or younger generation coming through the workforce? What, what do you... What do you get asked and what do you want to be asked? Yeah, I mean, I think when I was when I was the one going to these boards, I always thought, oh, I could do that. I could sit on the other side of the table. And actually, at the time, I, would always, I was always kind of thinking, well, I'd probably do things differently. You know, I, I, I might be a bit more supportive of the executive and I'd, I'd kind of challenge them. But, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd look to support them more. So I think I think. For me, in board roles now, it's, it's really about providing that support and guidance. Um, I spend quite a bit of time with the teams that um, I support, so I'm quite free with my time. I'm quite, I'm quite open. I'm, somebody will take a call whenever it suits, it suits them. And as, as, a, as a result, I've become a bit of an advisor for you know, some, a, a few of the CEOs of the boards that I, I sit on. Um, I think what am I passionate about? Superior customer experience. I mean, all of the, all of the kind of boards and advisory roles I've had, it's it's been about taking customer experience and and, and improving it. When I think about the work I do at the the whiskey company that I work with now, um, I'm passionate about you know 
great, great customer service, great experiences and bringing those to life and and great communication. I think I'm also, um, you know, purpose led organisations have always been really important to me, um, certainly for the last sort of four or five years. And having a core purpose that everyone gets behind, I think, is really, really critical. And, you, you know, you look at some of the most successful brands in the world and they have, you know, they have a core purpose that kind of brings everybody together. So I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about that. I'm very passionate about, you know, great leadership and supporting development, career development, um, because I think that getting the best of your workforce will get the best. Uh, results and I'm absolutely convinced of that. So we'll do some quicker questions now. Okay. Um, so where do you go to feed your brain? Wow, I, where I go to feed my brain, and this probably is a bit bizarre, so it's not a website or it's not, you know, a podcast. I go to my kitchen and I cook and I cook and I cook and I cook. And it could be five o'clock in the morning, I get up because I can't sleep and things are on my mind and I'm baking bread or making, you know, croissants or whatever it is that's really technically difficult and challenges me. And that just makes me think. And I love watching my food porn, as I call it, but I love, I just love, you know, anything from MasterChef through to James Martin's my hero. Um, and I go into my I go into my kitchen and that's where I think and I you know, some people like to get on their Peloton or go running or whatever. I love to go for a swim. I used to be a swimmer, but it's my kitchen and that's my time and I shut the door and depending on the hour of the day I'll have a glass of wine. I won't do that at five o'clock in the morning. Um, but that's no where that's where I go. I might do. That's where I go to get my inspiration. Um, and feed my brain, literally. Amazing. Um, what was the last impulse buy you made? I, but, ah, I don't know. <laughs> There's probably so many. Were they all impulse buys? What was my, I tell you what I bought. I bought a really expensive candle, um, which was really expensive, but it's, it's I can never say it, diptyque. My my son always calls it Dippy Tech, um, and that was my my last impulsive buy. What's your most annoying habit? We're getting personal now. Um, oh God, you'd ask to ask my children. There's probably so many. Um, I, oh my goodness me, I don't know. Um, what do I do? What's my annoying habit? Um, I don't. I don't know. I must have them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm really not. It's self, only annoying to other people. I'm really maybe. <laughs> not self-aware, am I? Um, don't know. I jig my knee. I jig my knee a lot. My husband's always putting his hands on my knee. Stop. Stop jigging. But that's that's probably what I do. As that's linked to my next question. So, what stresses you out the most? What causes you to jig the knee? Um. What stresses me out the most at the moment probably is the the multitude of issues that my my family, my children have because they're all at different ages. You know, two have got their own home, two are at university, one's at school. And so it's kind of different level of drama every time I speak to one of them. Um, what stresses me out is when I'm not able to kind of help them um, or, or solve their issues for them. So I think um, probably my family. 
Um, totally unlinked to that. What's your taste in interior design? Oh, well, I am a huge Kit Kemp fan. And um, she owns a, a suite of hotels in New York and London. And I've had the absolute delight and privilege to be able to stay in most of them. And I love, love, love her eclectic use of fabric and um, paint and wallpaper. And I've literally, I'm going through a project at the moment of wallpapering every room in my house, even my utility room with this fabulous wallpaper. Um, so that, and I have to kind of stage it, you know, cause it's, I have to afford it. But yeah, that, that's, I'm quite eclectic. I like, I like lots of color, lots of texture, lots of fabric. Um, that makes me happy. Although my bedroom is, it's kind of interesting wallpaper and, and paint, but my linen has to be white. I can't, I can't do pattern bed sheets. I just can't. And even though I have a dog and a cat who think it's their place to jump on the bed, um, I have to continue to have white linen. So I have to change the sheets a lot. A lot. Or somebody does. <laughs> Bring the help in. <laughs> my son. <laughs> what do your colleagues, or what would your colleagues say about you? Oh, wow. Um, I think they would say I'm somebody who wears my heart on my sleeve. I think they would say um, I'm very honest and I have been very supportive to them in their careers. I think there will be plenty of people who say that's not the case. Um, I'm Because I'm very honest, I think some people can take that as being quite challenging. And so some people just don't receive that sort of honest feedback from me. Um, in the main, you know, I've had colleagues sort of come with me on my journey from in different organizations since I was in my twenties and I still am in contact with them now. A lot of them are my, my friends and my, I'm close to my family. So yeah, I think, I think they would say I've been quite honest, quite supportive, um, and somebody they've taken quite a lot of guidance from. So in terms of what you're most proud of, I get the feeling that the answer is going to be family or the people you've worked with, but tell, let's go there. Definitely really proud of my children. Um, they're all very, very different and they all, they've all got a bit of us in them, but they're, they're, they're all very different. I'm very proud of them and I'm very proud of who they've become. Um, they're wonderful people and uh, they've all had their challenges as we've all had, and, but they're very close. They're also all very close to each other. They all bicker, particularly the girls. Um, but they are, you know, great human beings. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't take all responsibility for that. My husband had a lot to do with it as well. But they're great. They're great people, and I'm really, really proud. And last but not least, on a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? <laughs> I, well, I think. People say I'm weird because I'm a Barry Manilow fan. That's quite weird. And I am a major Liverpool Football Club fan. It's my life. I sort of think about it far more than I should. Um, so I'm quite eclectic, I think. Um, I also love you know, really trendy music and classical music and stuff, so I'm quite eclectic. But um, yeah, that's probably my weird bit. Um, my weird bit. If it was your kids des describing your weirdness, would they say weirder or less weird than you self-assess? Uh, I don't think they think I'm that weird, actually. I think I think they think I'm... I think my girls love me 
to bits. I think my boys love me, but I think they think I'm really great and cool and trendy because I probably finance their life. Um, I, th I think the boys, my boys get a bit stressed how passionate I get about the football. So I am a bit of a screecher and I will get quite, quite upset when my team play badly, which has been a lot of this season. <laughs> um, so they probably say that's a bit dramatic and, you know, although they get very dramatic, but it's okay apparently for boys to do it. Um, so yeah, that's probably, that's probably what they'd say. It's amazing. Thanks, Ellen. This has been awesome. Like I've got to know so much more about, you know, Brilliant. Well, so, I really so enjoyed much. it. Thanks for having me. So concludes Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast, no matter your platform. And of course, start your journey with us today at labelsessions.com.